Have you ever had that feeling when you leave the doctor's office and think, what did they just say? Or have any burning questions you didn't have time to ask? Or, I don't remember anything that just happened in that appointment. Or even, were they speaking my language? Yeah, us too. That's where we come in. We're the podcast dedicated to helping you understand what your doctor said about that thing you saw your doctor for in the first place. We understand it can be an information overload. We're here to help. I'm Dr. Josh Fletcher, a family medicine resident at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto. And I'm Jake Bloom, the person who doesn't know what's happening at the doctor's office. Welcome to Dr. Dictionary. I just want to make a quick disclaimer that this podcast isn't meant to be a replacement for a traditional doctor's appointment, nor is it meant to be providing medical advice. Rather, it's meant to be a supplement to your doctor's visit and explain why your doctor asked what they asked and help you explain the diagnosis and common treatment plans. Lastly, doctors often have very different styles and approaches to a patient and their diagnosis. If we discuss a question or treatment plan that your doctor didn't mention, that doesn't mean that they were wrong. This could represent a different in practice style or simply the fact that your doctor knows you better than we do and has created a treatment plan that better fits your lifestyle. All right, and welcome back to another edition of Dr. Dictionary. I am Jake Bloom, and joining me today to discuss all things asthma-related is Toronto resident doctor Josh Fletcher. All right, Doc, last episode we spoke in depth about childhood asthma, so it only makes sense to talk about adult asthma in this week's episode. Could you again explain what the definition of asthma actually is? So asthma is a lung condition that's associated with what we call variable airflow limitation, meaning that the airway itself can become narrowed under certain circumstances. It's variable when that happens. We can also see inflammation or a hostile environment in the airways, which can cause changes in the airway itself, more mucus being produced, changes in the muscle that's surrounding the airways. And as you can imagine, as the airway becomes much more narrow, it can be quite hard to breathe. And how common is asthma? So it's extremely common. It's thought to affect approximately 300 million individuals worldwide. Wow. And what are the typical symptoms that are seen in asthma? So you typically have those symptoms of airway obstruction. Those are wheeze or that high-pitched sound that you sometimes hear, that high-pitched whistling sound. Shortness of breath, chest tightness, cough, and you generally have more than one of these symptoms. More mucus or phlegm can be produced as well. And like I said, these are called the symptoms of airway obstruction. So what makes these symptoms worse? So like I talked about in the definition, these symptoms occur variably over time and vary in intensity. Now, there are certain triggers that can actually make them worse. For example, a very common trigger is a virus or some sort of flu-like illness that you might have that could make these symptoms worse. Others are triggered by exercise, even laughter, allergens like dust and mold, cold air. Sometimes they can be worse at night or worse with activity. And there's a subset of asthma with occupational exposures or exposures related to your job. Is your asthma better or worse when you're away from work? That's a question that we might be asking you because we want to try to eliminate any exposures at work as soon as possible 
to help combat this asthma. I see. Yeah, I was talking to my mom earlier about this episode, and she was mentioning that as a teacher, she would always have students who, because of the cold air, would start having those asthma-like symptoms. And uh, it's pretty incredible to think that just something as common, especially in our, our area, as cold air could cause so much harm to someone. Exactly. And with climate change and the rise in pollution as well in our urban centers, the rates of asthma and the number of asthma exacerbations or asthma attacks that's occurring is astounding just because of kind of man-made changes that's occurring to our environment. Is asthma the only cause of that wheeze sound, that wheeze feeling? So no, not all wheezing is caused by asthma, although it's a very common cause of it. It can be related to the lungs. It can be related to the structures around the lungs, related to the stomach, related to the heart, etc. So it's not necessarily because of asthma. And that's where your doctor comes in. If your biggest concern is that wheezing sound, it's probably best to go see your doctor so they can ask you more questions and do more investigations if need be to kind of work up that wheezing sound and find out exactly why you're having that. What are some factors that increase your risk of developing asthma? So having a family history of asthma or conditions that are associated with a heightened immune response, which we call atopy, such as seasonal allergies or eczema, can increase your own risk of having asthma. So for example, if your mom or dad has it, your brother has it, then you're probably at a heightened risk of having asthma as well. Certain occupational exposures like we talked about, especially in adults. Right. Smoking in the household or smoking yourself. Pet ownership could increase your risk. And then there are associations with being in an urban center and air pollution, associations with prematurity where you're born prematurely, where you're born at a low birth weight, for example, and that's thought to also increase your risk of having asthma. Are there conditions that are often associated with asthma? So yes, there are. And in the medical world, we call these comorbidities. For example, obesity is very commonly seen in asthma. A chronic or long-term runny nose or inflammation of your sinuses. Reflux or heartburn. Anxiety and depression as well. It can also be related to food allergies. So there are other comorbidities or associated conditions that are associated with asthma. How is the diagnosis of asthma actually made? So in adults, we need to have a typical history and physical exam that suggests asthma, as well as some sort of objective test, which we call spirometry, to tell us about your lung function. And that's the difference between children and adults. In young children, we can't really do this objective test or can't really do spirometry because young children aren't able to do it. They can't coordinate their breath accordingly. They can't really follow the instructions as needed. So in that typical history, we look for those symptoms of airway obstruction that we talked about earlier. The episodic wheeze, shortness of breath, that chest tightness, that cough. A nocturnal cough does it wake you up from sleep. Do you have any sputum or any phlegm coming up? Is it white? Is it yellow, for example? We want to hear about your triggers. Is it worse with cold air? Is there worse with activity? Is it worse at your job? Things like that. The other elements we might ask about are prior history of asthma attacks and the severity of asthma attacks. Exposures to triggers like cigarette smoke, pets, dust, etc. And your compliance with your medications. 
That's really what we focus on in the history section of our asthma visit. And then we move on to our objective test, which is spirometry. What is spirometry then? So spirometry is a specific type of office test that we use to see how well your lungs are functioning. We measure how much air you take in, how well you can forcefully exhale this air, and if that number improves after giving you a puffer. And we're looking for very specific cutoffs to make the diagnosis of asthma. In general, people with asthma are worse at forcefully blowing out air from their lungs than individuals without asthma. We also see that they have quite an improvement in this number with treatment of a puffer that opens up the airways. So overall, if we have that typical history of asthma patterns, the right triggers, etc., and we have that asthma pattern on spirometry, then we can diagnose you with asthma and treat accordingly. Are there any other special tests that are done for the diagnosis of asthma? So this depends on what your doctor thinks after hearing your story. If we're worried about an infection in addition to asthma, we might order a chest x-ray. There's also a special test that involves giving you a chemical to breathe in, and we can see how well your lungs respond to this. And with asthma, again, we see a very specific response or specific cutoff with this test as well. And you also mentioned occupational asthma earlier. What is that? So that's asthma that's either caused or worsened by your work environment. It can be caused from chemicals or exposures that occur at work, if you have to work outside and it's really cold outside, etc. And in Ontario, we can actually fill out a specific form, a WSIB form, stands for Worker Safety and Insurance Board form, and help shape your work environment or transition you to a different role at work because of your asthma symptoms. Now, what is considered good control of asthma symptoms? So when we think of asthma control, it's the extent to which we see the symptoms of asthma and if we can reduce or remove these symptoms with treatment. When I say your asthma is well controlled, this is what I'm thinking in my mind. You're not having daytime symptoms more than twice a week. You're not having any nighttime symptoms. You're using your as-needed medications, which we'll talk about later, less than twice per week. You're not limited in your activities whatsoever. And if this sounds like you, then it sounds like your asthma is well controlled. But if it doesn't sound like you, if you're missing one or more of these things, then your asthma symptoms may not be well controlled. Your doctor can discuss an asthma action plan with you. And this goes through those specific questions I was just talking about and what to do in the case of your symptoms not being well controlled when to seek additional medical help, etc. And it's a really important tool to use in asthma management. Now, going off that, what is the problem with having poorly controlled asthma? So there's a risk of asthma exacerbations, also known as an asthma attack. Worsening of your asthma symptoms to a point where you need to seek medical attention as you're having difficulty breathing. That's what an asthma attack or asthma exacerbation is. Now, of course, Poorly controlled asthma also has a huge impact on your quality of life, your mental health, etc. Well, Josh, what are some of the reasons for poorly controlled asthma? So first of all, we want to make sure you're using your medication correctly, your puffers. Up to 80% of people cannot use their inhaler properly. So it's definitely not just an issue that you alone may be facing. Wow, 80%. Yeah, and this is where your doctor comes in and may ask you to see your inhaler technique or spend some time going through the technique with you in office because it's such a common problem. Sometimes you may not be using your treatment as prescribed. For example, you might not know that your puffer needs to be used every single day. 
or you may feel like you don't need it because you feel fine. Then there are those comorbidities we talked about, or those conditions that are associated with asthma, like obesity, reflux, etc., and getting those under good control. Controlling your environment and limiting exposures. Certain medications can even make your asthma worse, and your doctor can help manage this. Having poor lung function at baseline can be a risk for having poorly controlled asthma. You spoke a lot about proper technique for puffers. Are there ways to make this easier for patients? So coordinating your breasts and the puffer and correctly squeezing and positioning it at the right time can be quite difficult. And that's why there's, like, like I talked about earlier, up to 80% of people aren't using it correctly. Now, the number one reason why you may not be responding to the medication is because it's not actually reaching your lungs. One thing that can really help here is a spacer or an arrow chamber. And this is a chamber that the puffer connects to on one side and goes in or around your mouth on the other side. And that way, it's much, much easier to get the medication from the puffer into your lungs. When you use the puffer, when you squeeze it, the medication actually lingers in the chamber, making it much easier to take a breath in, coordinate that breath in that puffer, and get the medication into your lungs. Now also make sure to shake the puffer before using it, take slow deep breaths, and wait 30 seconds between each puff. Now in terms of treatment, can you tell me a bit more about the as-needed puffers? Sure. So actually as of this year, there are new guidelines on the treatment of asthma and those as-needed puffers. Traditionally, for as-needed therapy, your doctor may have prescribed the blue puffer called Ventolin or Salbutamol. As of this year, another option for as-needed treatment that your doctor may have used is a low-dose combination inhaler such as Simbicort. And these puffers work to counteract the changes that occur in asthma in the moment and ultimately help open up your airways. What are the actual medications in the combination inhaler? So one's an inhaled steroid. And the other one is a longer-acting form of Ventolin, or the blue inhaler. And again, this counteracts those changes that you see in asthma. Now, a lot of people get worried when they hear the word steroid. And I just want to reiterate that this is a safe medication, very well studied, and it's actually the mainstay of treatment for more frequent asthma. And what are the side effects of these? So for Ventolin, this puffer can make you feel a little hyper, increase your heart rate, and even give you a very slight tremor if you get multiple doses, but this is all in the short term. In terms of the combination puffer like Simbacort, it can cause a hoarseness to your voice or the development of thrush or a white fungus in the mouth, which is treatable. And we recommend rinsing your mouth after using this medication. With very high doses or other side effects from it being absorbed into the body, but we don't really need very high doses for the vast majority of patients. And in terms of treatment for daily use, uh, what puffers are used? So we typically use an inhaled steroid every day at the lowest dose possible. We will sometimes use a combination inhaler like Simbicort as well every single day to help control those asthma symptoms if the inhaled steroid isn't working and isn't helping. We can increase the doses or change the inhalers as needed to help control your symptoms every single day. But if your symptoms have been stable for a very long period of time, your doctor may even decrease your dose of puffer to get you on the lowest dose possible moving forward. How long does it usually take to work? So they can typically take one to two weeks to see some improvement, and maximum improvement is usually seen after one to two months. Are there things I should try in addition to puffers to improve my symptoms? 
So in addition to puffers, smoking cessation or quitting smoking is really the number one thing you can do for your health in general and will help control your asthma symptoms as well. In keeping with that, physical activity is also very helpful. And we specifically want to have physical activity with no limitations, like we were talking about earlier. We may want to do an occupational asthma investigation, looking into what triggers specifically are happening at work, for example. And there are actually specialists in medicine who deal with occupational exposures or occupational asthma. And like I talked about earlier, avoiding certain medications that can worsen your symptoms, and that's where a doctor comes in. And lastly, what resources do you recommend for more reading about asthma? So Asthma Canada is a great resource with a lot of basic and in-depth information about asthma, as well as treatment. And the Canadian Lung Association also has a great website about asthma, and I'll link both in the description below. Okay, great. Well, that about wraps up uh, today's episode on adult asthma. Josh, I want to thank you so much for sharing all this great information with us. Thanks, Jake. And as always, if you guys have any more questions, feel free to make another appointment with your doctor. If you have any suggestions, you can email us at thedoctordictionary@gmail.com or tweet us at the Doctor Dictionary. I'd also like to thank Dr. Jamie Blicker, an emergency medicine physician at North York General Hospital in Toronto, for peer reviewing this episode, as well as Nick and John Bragagnolo for recording the original music. And so we have a special bonus episode coming up all about asthma attacks. So hopefully you'll stay tuned for that one as well. We'll see you then. <laughs>